Welcome to the Ace Tip Podcast, where we translate science into sense, so you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read a lengthy journal article or report. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. ACED is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the NIDA-funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. For more information, check out jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. We know that many things can impact how organizations adopt new policies and practices, from the characteristics of the staffers, the organization, and those they serve. It's important to think about the environment before implementing a new practice. However, just considering organizational-level characteristics is not enough. We should also think about the larger picture factors that promote or impede implementation. We can think about it like the levels of ecology. There's the biosphere, which is the largest level, an ecosystem, which is the community of interacting plants, animals, and non-living organisms. There are specific communities, which are the different populations of animals and plants that live near each other. There are populations, which are the one specific group of animals. And lastly, individual organisms. Like ecology, organizations are only one part of a complex system. There are individuals, local factors, state regulations, federal laws, and more. From the individual to large-scale legislation, implementing evidence-based policies into practice is more complex than meets the eye. Christina Andrews and colleagues' 2014 article titled Adoption of Evidence-Based Clinical Innovations, The Case of Buprenorphine Use by Opioid Treatment Programs, looks at changes in how opioid treatment programs used buprenorphine from 2005 to 2011 and different treatment program characteristics that were associated with buprenorphine adoption. To do so, Andrews and colleagues used data from two nationally representative surveys of opioid treatment programs. The researchers used three outcome measures to measure buprenorphine adoption, any buprenorphine use, use for opioid detoxification, and use for maintenance therapy. This article discusses different frameworks to identify program characteristics, the socio-technical model, the organizational managerial model, the market model, and the state regulation model. So what do all these frameworks mean? And how do they impact how organizations adopt new policies and practices? Let's start with the socio-technical model. This model focuses on how well the intended policy or program meets the needs of its intended populations. For this research, the variables under this model include the percentage of staff who have professional degrees, who have certifications in substance use counseling, and the program's director's use of networks. Next is the organizational managerial model. This framework looks at an organization's access to technical and social support to adopt new practices. The variables that measure this framework include program caseload, whether the program is publicly or privately owned, how many clients use the program, type of program, and percentage of private insurance use. Then there's also the market model. This framework accounts for competition from local markets and social networks. The variables here include number of opioid treatment programs that provide methadone in a county, county size, percentage of treatment admissions with heroin use as the primary diagnosis, and percentage of substance abuse treatment programs in the county. Last, the state model, 
looks at how government regulations impact an organization's ability to adopt programs. The variables that account for this framework include whether or not the state has buprenorphine regulations outside of federal laws, whether it subsidizes buprenorphine use, and if there are additional requirements for prescribing buprenorphine outside the federal policies. So, that's a lot of information. But what did Andrews and colleagues actually find? Which of these models were associated with buprenorphine adoption? The first finding was that buprenorphine use increased in the sample from 2005 to 2011 in general from 49% to 57%. For opioid detox, buprenorphine use increased from 37% in 2005 to 46% in 2011. And for opioid maintenance therapy, buprenorphine use increased from 36% in 2005 to 53% in 2011. Now for the findings about the different models we discussed. Woo, fun. First, there was no support that the socio-technical variables were associated with buprenorphine use. For the organizational managerial model, the only variable associated with an outcome measure was the percentage of clients who used private insurances. Programs with higher percentages of clients with private insurance were more likely to adopt buprenorphine. Next, this research provides support for the market model as all variables were significantly associated with buprenorphine use. The higher the percentage of substance abuse programs that provided methadone in a county, the less likely buprenorphine was offered for detoxification, maintenance, and overall. The larger the county, the less likely they were to offer buprenorphine. Across all outcomes, programs with higher percentages of clients who used injection drugs were less likely to provide buprenorphine. Lastly, Counties with higher percentages of treatment admissions with heroin use as a primary reason had lower rates of buprenorphine adoption. This research also provides some support for the state regulation model, which had two significant variables. First, states that subsidized buprenorphine had almost double the buprenorphine use in their programs compared to other states without subsidies. Additionally, programs in states that had additional requirements for physicians prescribing buprenorphine had greater odds of providing buprenorphine for maintenance therapy. From these findings, the researchers concluded that in general, there were increases in buprenorphine use from 2005 to 2011. Additionally, factors like access to private insurance, client population, the program's market environment, and state legislation all impact the adoption of buprenorphine. Christina Andrews and colleagues' research gives us a great example of the complexities of implementing new evidence-based procedures into real-world practice. Like in ecology, individuals and communities don't exist in a vacuum. They're influenced by the broader world around them. To promote the adoption of evidence-based practices, it is important to consider a variety of factors, from the individual level to the legislative and social levels. That wraps another episode of the Aced It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language and short knowledge bursts, which are 30-second overviews, for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.jcoinctc.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here and They will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. Additionally, we'd like to thank NIDA, Dr. Faye Taxman, and all the students and staff at ACE, including our podcast mastermind doctoral candidate, Shannon Magnuson, who is the brainchild behind this podcast. Oh, wait, two more quick things. 
If you're a researcher and you'd like us to consider using one of your research articles or reports for an upcoming podcast, please send it to me, Danielle, at d-r-u-d-e-s at gmu.edu. If you'd like to support our podcast to keep the sense coming, please tell your friends and colleagues about us or assign this podcast to your students or staff. Thanks again, and please tune in again soon for another informative episode of the ACE Podcast, Translating Science into Sense.